Shalom, this is Rabbi Thomas Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you some commentary on the tribulation. This is an extensive study. I will not cover everything in one session, but I do want to throw some ideas, scripture, and comments on the tribulation in general that may spark some interest and future research on your part. In order to adequately reconstruct the tribulation, we have to turn to the book of Revelation. And this book appears to be laid out in a way that corresponds to the Jewish festival of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the festival that marks the new year. This is fiscal new year, by the way. It occurs in September. Biblical new year is uh, Aviv, by the way, if you are interested in that. Rosh Hashanah is the festival that marks the new year. It lasts for two days, which is regarded as one long single day, followed by a fast on the third, the fast of Gedalia. Rosh Hashanah is the biblical feast of trumpets. And many people think the rapture will happen at this festival because it corresponds to the blast of the trumpet and the saints being caught up into the air to meet Yeshua. Rosh Hashanah initiates the ten days of awe that ends in the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Preparation for this festival requires careful reflection and prayer. Jews greet each other with this blessing during this time, quote, May you be inscribed for a good year in the Book of Life, unquote. On the eve of Rosh Hashanah, the shofar is sounded in a special series of blasts designated to strike terror in the hearts of hearers. These days begin with a sense of beginning anew and end with confessing sin, repentance, and acknowledging God's sovereignty. They close with a gravely serious prayer, imploring the Lord to seal them in the book of life. <clears throat> this is the progression of events that we find in Revelation. Judgments begin with the opening of the book and end when Israel is besieged by the nations. Only after the acknowledgement of Yeshua as Messiah, the Mashiach, does his second coming occur and he saves them. The book of life is opened. And only those found worthy and written in the book are saved. There is a remnant, according to God, of those who will be saved and be included as the bride of Yeshua. It is not the church. He is not Christ. He is Yeshua. And in order to be included as part of the bride, we must carry the testimony of Yeshua and guard the commands of Hashem. This is written seven times in the book of Revelation. Meaning that we need to be reconciled to God through Yeshua's sacrifice, do a turnabout with our behavior and our lives, and follow God's commands. That's guarding the commands of Hashem. That's the Song of Moshe and the Song of the Lamb. In the fourth and fifth chapters of Revelation, the redeemed are seen in heaven. And this event signals the completion of the end gathering of the believers before the tribulation. Now there will be 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel who will be sealed to serve him during the tribulation. Those will be left on earth at that time. So the raptured are, and deceased saints who have gone on before will be... Um, the completion of the ingathering of the, those believers. The redeemed represented as elders are praising and worshiping God. In the fifth chapter, a heavenly search is conducted for someone worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll. At first it appears no one can be found. But then one of the elders tells John that, quote, 
the loin of the tribe of Judah, unquote, has obtained victory and is able to break the seven seals opening the book. His appearance is like a slain lamb, reminiscent of the Passover lamb, none other than Yeshua HaMashiach. Now we come to chapter 6 and examine the first six seals of the book. Seal number one represents the Antimessiah who rides forth on a white horse. In Revelation 6-2 we read, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This is not Yeshua. This is the Antimessiah. This rider can best be identified as the deceiver. God's restraint has now been removed, and the Antimessiah begins his program to rule the world. The phrasing of the foregoing sentence suggests he is just beginning, for it says, quote, he rode out as a conqueror on conquest. That's an active statement, unquote. We now have to ask ourselves, has he signed the covenant mentioned in Daniel 9.27, which reads, quotes, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This desecration is foreshadowed by Antiochus Epiphanes, who tried to stamp out Judaism. In 165 BC, he sacked and profaned the temple by offering the flesh of a swine on the altar. He made the holy temple a place of worship for Zeus. He was a type of the anti-Messiah, and Yeshua spoke of this in Matthew 24, 15. Quote, so when you see standing place in the holy, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Unquote. This covenant or treaty is the signal that the tribulation will start in earnest. There will be a lot of scholarly research in trying to identify the anti-Messiah. My own personal belief is that he will come out from one of the tribes of Israel, most specifically Dan. Why? Well, Jacob said this about Dan in Genesis 49:16 and 17. Quote, Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel. The dying Jacob prophesied that the tribe of Dan would bring judgment upon the tribes of Israel, that he would be a, quote, serpent by the wayside and adder in the path, unquote. We all know the serpent as identified with Hasidan ever since Eve was beguiled. So wicked was the tribe of Dan that it was eliminated from the twelve tribes recorded. In Revelation chapter 7, where the 144,000 are made up of the twelve tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe, we find them listed in Revelation 5, 7, and 8 as Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Nephthalim, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Yosef, and Benjamin. Dan is not listed. Why? Because through him will come the seed of the serpent. Therefore, it's reasonable to believe that the anti-Messiah will come out of the tribe of Dan. Daniel also writes as if the anti-Messiah will come out of Israel. In Daniel 11:37 and 8, we read, quote, He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, 
a god unknown to his fathers. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Now, we have to consider that Jacob in Genesis 49, 8-10 prophesied that the Messiah would descend from Judah. Jews are everywhere expecting the Messiah to come. In my opinion, for the Jews to accept the anti-Messiah so completely, he will have to be of the tribe of Judah. But how can this be if he is from the tribe of Dan? Today every Israeli is commonly called a Jew, even though he may be from another tribe or even descended from a long-ago convert. The second seal is the red horse of war, best called destroyer. The most significant major latter-day war prophesied in the Tanakh, or Old Testament, is found in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 9. It's the only prophecy that mentions a modern nation, Russia, by name, and God consigns that nation to condemnation. Their armies and confederate armies will be defeated north of Jerusalem by the tiny nation Israel, with God's intervention, of course. All this leads to the final battle, Armageddon, on the plains of Megiddo. Seal number three represents a black horse, drought. This seal signals a major financial upheaval. Currency is practically worthless. This will be the greatest depression in the world's history. And all you need to do is look around us at what is happening today to see that we are headed for this straight on. The Bible is true and has always been, just as our God has always been true and will always be and is never changing. <clears throat> Seal number four is death, represented as a pale green horse. War, famine, and probably disease follows in the wake of the foregoing. Massive plagues break out all over the world. These four horses are known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse and are commonly seen as happening together in rapid succession in a coordinated movement that begins to bring God's judgment upon mankind. Out of all this, the anti-Messiah is the lone benefactor, and his ungodly system actually profits from this chaotic mess. First, we'll study 5 and 6, which represent two groups of very specific and different types of people. Seal number 5 deals with a group of souls beneath the altar of the heavenly temple. They are given white robes, which is the biblical symbol of righteousness. However, since they are not resurrected, now resurrected means bodily, they must have died following the rapture of the saints. They asked, quote, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Unquote. They're told to wait for a while. The suffering would have to continue from some period of time. Now listen closely. If judgment and vengeance has not yet taken place or in the process, has the tribulation begun yet? The next seal, number six, lends credence to this assumption. As it is opened, some truly supernatural events are triggered. The sun, moon, and stars are affected as well as the heavens themselves. God has begun to change the system of earth itself. This group of people are the unredeemed. They are the unsaved nations and every class from the high and mighty to the most lowly servant. They are terrified, and they try to hide from the coming judgments. After this seal is opened, we read, quote, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Unquote. Now is the time that the day of the Lord breaks forth. Here the tribulation actually begins. What I'm suggesting is that the first six seals are a prelude to the seven years of the great tribulation, 
It's not until the opening of the seventh seal that the trumpet is actually blown. What I'm suggesting is that Rosh Hashanah is a shadow or type of the coming tribulation. There are ten days, which represent ten years, three years that are transitional. The Feast of Trumpets typify the terror and judgment of the tribulation. Transitional periods are the rule rather than the exception. For example, a hundred years elapsed from the birth of Yeshua until the death of John, the last apostle. John the Baptist preached perhaps four to five years before Yeshua's public ministry. We read in Mark 1 through 4 and verses 7 and 8, <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel about Yeshua. The Son of God. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this was his message, quote, after me will come one more powerful than I, that thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Unquote. It was nearly three to five years later before John's words came to fulfillment in the imparting of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the early believers at Pentecost or Shavuot. John, who's been called the last of the Old Testament prophets, ushered out the waning days of the dispensation of law. The apostle ushered in the infant assembly of believers while giving the word, the Brikat Nisha, the renewed, refreshed covenant, not a New Testament. Perhaps there's going to be a similar time after the removal of the believers from the earth. It stands to reason that the anti-Messiah will need a transitional period of time to establish himself in the eyes of the world. He is one of the four horsemen, bringing forth war, economic upheaval, famine, plague, and death. With false signs and wonders, as well as charismatic gifts, he will spectacularly rise to power. The next time he's seen in Revelation 13, he places the entire world under bondage, but especially Israel. Many scholars liken the tribulation to the ten plagues of Moshe. Pharaoh placed Israel under bondage, and Egypt is seen biblically as a type of world system. The system fell under God's judgment after Israel experienced great hardship. Moshe took his people to the promised land. And Moshe said, One greater, but like unto me, is coming to deliver Israel. Yeshua is his name who will deliver Israel from a future bondage after the plagues named in this book are accomplished and all Israel is saved. Again, all Israel here means all true believers defined by God. Not geographical Israel, not biological Israel. You must be a true believer carrying the testimony of Yeshua and guarding the commands of Hashem to be included. We can all agree on one thing. The man of sin, men, sin mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 would not be revealed until the restrainer is pulled aside. And it is generally accepted that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit or Ruach HaKodesh working in believers. This fact coincides with the advent with a great war which I believe is described in Ezekiel 38 and 9. I don't believe believers will be involved in that war because we will have been removed. It becomes apparent why Paul or Shaul referred to the catching away of the saints and quote-unquote the blessed hope. The seventh seal. This is a telescoping event. As the telescope is extended, we see a multiple of seven. Seal number seven. 
the seven trumpet judgment and the seven bold judgments translated sometimes as the seven vials it's interesting to note that the number seven is used 59 times in the book of revelation more concentrated here than in any other book of the bible although seven appears at least 700 times in all the scripture biblically the number seven stands for completeness or perfection we could draw the conclusion for this abundant use of the number seven in revelation that perhaps god is saying through biblical numerology that he has completed his dealing with humanity in this dispensation. Notice that in chapter 8, where we read when the angel opens the seventh seal, that there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. What does this silence indicate? Is God giving time to mankind to rethink his allegiance to the anti-Messiah? Or is it to accentuate the beginning of a further series of judgments? In verse 2, John sees seven angels standing before God and receiving seven trumpets. Another angel with a golden censer stands before the golden altar with incense. This altar appears to be the golden altar in the tabernacle which was located in the holy place and not used for sacrifices but only for incense. Incense in biblical typology was a type of people of God's prayers. We see indications of this in Exodus 30, verse 1, where God instructed Moshe to make an altar to burn incense upon. Psalm 141, 2 says, Let my prayer be, and it goes on, before thee as incense. And Luke 1, 10, praying at the time of incense. And in Revelation 8, 3 and 4, and Revelation 5, 8. We can draw some inferences from the construction of this altar. It was made of wood and gold. Wood has long been a type of humanity, and gold a type of deity, which seems to say to us, it is portrayal of Yeshua, who is both human, very, very man, and deity, very, very God. In Hebrews 7.25, we read, quote, He ever liveth to make intercession for them, unquote. And in John 1, 1 John 2.1, quote, we have an advocate, Yeshua HaMashiach. Remember, Mashiach is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. No genealogy or record of birth or death. And like the old high priest of Israel, a type, he is our intercessor before the throne of God in heaven. The height of this altar was two cubits, and except for the brazen altar of sacrifice, it was the highest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. We can infer from this that next to the sacrifice of Yeshua, the next most important thing is his intercession for us with the Father. We next consider the horns on the altar. Horns were a symbol of power, which speaks to us of the great power of Yeshua who prays for us. In Hebrews 7.25 we read, quote, He is able, and it goes further, to make intercession for them, unquote. Also we, believers, have his power in prayer, as John 14.13 declares, quote, Whatsoever ye ask, and it goes further, that I will do. And that's asking in the will of God, not give me a new car, oh, oh, I want an orange one, or I want this or that or the other. It needs to be within the will of God. How will you know the will of God? You'll know it by learning God's Torah and living it. In Exodus 30, verse 10, we see that once a year the blood of the sacrificial offering was sprinkled on the horns of the golden altar, tying the altar of incense with the brazen altar of sacrifice. It's the blood of Yeshua that is the basis of his plea. In Romans 8.34, we read, quote, Yeshua, 
on goes on died also maketh intercession we are able to pray to god through the blood of yeshua in ephesians 2:13 it reads make nigh by the blood of yeshua daily incense at this altar indicates the constancy of yeshua's prayers for us in exodus 30 7 and 8 it reads every morning and goes on at even meaning evening which is perpetual in 1 Thessalonians 5:17 we are admonished to pray without ceasing so the picture of this altar we see the priestly office of Messiah we return to the angel with the censer and he had quote unquote much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints this signals the beginning of the tribulation in earnest everything before has been a prelude the angel takes fire from the altar and casts it to the earth and has a crescendo of noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. It is as if an announcement from God is telling the earth to prepare for the wrath to come. We then see in rapid succession, number one, a third part of the trees and all the green grass was burnt up. Number two, a third part of the creatures of the sea died and a third part of the ships were destroyed. Number three, and then a great star named Wormwood, which in Greek means undrinkable, fell from heaven, and a third part of the rivers and fountains of water became undrinkable. And then number four, and the third part of the sun was smitten, which translated means had no light along with the third part of the stars and moon. The number four in the Bible represents the earth, the seasons, divisions of the day, seasons of the moon, and the four elements of earth, air, water and fire as a result many people died or will be dying then seemingly interjected is the three quote-unquote woes when something is repeated three times in scripture it's to emphasize it three is the number of the Godhead the compound unity one God and also the number of Hasatan's unholy threesome beast false prophet and Satan then the fifth angel with the key to the bottomless pit, where particularly gruesome demons are kept, is loosed. Then we see locusts come out to vex the world. In the Old Testament, locusts are symbols of destruction. These demons have the power to manifest physical forms in order to follow them to destroy and torment. They do not harm ordinary vegetation, as literal locusts, but do hurt mankind for five months. But mankind is not allowed to die, even though the torment is so great they want to. Part of this judgment is they not be allowed to die. The description of these locusts sound almost like our modern helicopters. However, the reference to them being likened to horses infers their warlike character. Human faces shows intelligence. Their feminine hair perhaps shows them as seductive and attractive. Their teeth like lions shows them to be destructive and hurtful. Breastplates of iron show them to be indestructible. Wings symbolize swiftness, and the stings in their tails give them power to hurt. In verse 7, we see who their king is, and it's Satan, who is Abaddon in Hebrew, which means destruction, and in Greek, Apollyon, which means destroyer. Deceiver and drought are all attributed to Satan. The sixth angel now unleashes his bowl, and the four fallen angels, demons, are loosed from the area of the river Euphrates. 
They're to prepare the way for the Oriental army coming toward Jerusalem, and they are given the power to kill a third part of mankind. At the conclusion of this woe, half of mankind, half will be killed. Back in chapter 9, verses 16 through 19, the number is given at 200 million being translated from a two myriad of myriads. But the majority of manuscripts reads a myriad of myriad, which is 100 million. We document this in Psalm 68:17 and Dan 7:10 and in Revelation 5:11. The following description seems like a nuclear war. We now see the seventh angel who has a little book in his hand and he issues seven utterances that John is told to seal up and not report. John eats it as instructed and it is honey but turns bitter in his stomach. John then measures the temple of God which is later referred to the tabernacle of his covenants. He then relates the testimony of the two witnesses. Two is the number of division and of witness as seen in Genesis 1-4 and Matthew 18-16. These witnesses have been described variously as Judah and Israel, Law and Grace, Moshe and Elijah. There are precedents to believe that it could be symbolic of Law and Grace so wonderfully balanced in Yeshua. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moshe representing law and Elijah <clears throat> representing grace appeared with Yeshua. However, only time will reveal the true meaning of this and all that is to come. And I pray that you have your name written in the book of life when all this comes to pass and that you win the race to win the prize of salvation with Yeshua. Lami. <clears throat> you have any comments, questions? And I'm sure you must have some at least because this is a very difficult book. Please go to our website at rabdavis.org under Ask the Rabbi and put your comments or questions uh, in that area and I will be happy to respond. Thank you so much for listening and I pray that you uh, share this with others and take it to heart. Amen. <clears throat>